Well, good morning, family. How are you today? Man, I'm so glad, so glad. It's good to see you. My name is Josh, and I have the privilege of being one of the ministers here at Clear Creek. What a privilege it is to be together celebrating the one true King, Jesus Christ. Well, today we're going to finish up a series, and then I want to give you a snapshot of the next two weeks. Next Sunday, um, Dan Michelle, a guest, is going to be here, and he's going to teach because it's a missions-centric Sunday. Why? Because we think God is up to something, not just in Chattanooga, but around the world, and we get to be a part of what he's doing. Isn't that kind of cool that you and I, the little dirt people, you realize we are made from dust, Scripture says, and yet we get to be a part of God's big mission around the world. So next week, we get to hear a little bit more about what God is doing around the world, what we get to do as part of the church, how uh, our serving and our giving is contributing to that. That's going to be a great Sunday. And Sunday after that, we begin the 12-week look through the book of Revelation. And I got to tell you, I'm geeked out. I'm so excited. Uh, each sermon is only about two and a half hours long, so we will provide pillows and blankets. It's going to be great. But no, seriously, I'm so excited about it. I'm going to ask you to do two things for me, though. This, and Help me out here. Every week of the Revelation series, I'm going to ask you, bring your Bible. I will refer to it from time to time, okay? And number two, please bring a pad of paper or something you can write on. There will be things we talk about that I may have to move quickly. I don't want you to miss it. And so plan to be here. Um, it's going to be a good, good time. Well, we are wrapping up our five-week look at this beautiful often overlooked but simple topic of loving one another through the book of 1 John. And today, as we wrap it up, there's this one idea that has been sort of just rolling around in my mind all week, but it kind of came from a weird place, and let me tell you where it came from. Um, I love summer, but I really love the fall time. Anyone else here kind of like the fall? Any, man, by the way, look around, hold on, hands up, hands up, hands up. I don't think any one of those hands belong to a school-age person. Okay, now maybe someone, but, but for a lot of us, for a lot of us, we love, love, love the fall time because cooler weather. As someone who just sweats all the time, it's like, oh, thank you, Lord. It's natural air conditioning. I'm so excited about it, but just great time of year. And maybe begin to think about this. There are some words we think about, and when we think about those words, we think about other words. Isn't that true? You think about one word, it makes you think of other words. So let's do this. I want you to talk to each other very briefly. I'm only going to give you about five to ten seconds max, but I want you to share with each other. What do you think about when you hear the word vacation? You've just wrapped up summer. Maybe you got something coming in the fall. You have five to ten seconds. Really fast. Share what comes to mind. Okay, three, two, one. Someone call out. What's one thing you think of when you hear the word vacation? The beach. Show of hands. Where are my water babies? Oh, yeah. All right, what's something else? Mountains. Oh, we go in the other direction. I like that. Someone else? Relaxation. Relaxation. Fantastic. How many of you here, when you hear the word vacation, think, I need another vacation for my vacation? All the parents' hands go up again. All right. Let's do another one. When you, what do you think about when you hear the word school? You have 10 seconds. Share with someone. Good words only. All right, three, two, one. Someone call it. What do you got, Trey? Did you say death? Oh. 
Desks. That one makes sense. I love it. Good, good, good. Someone else. Just call it out. What do you got? You think of diarrhea of a wimpy kid. Okay, so great literature. Okay. All right. Now, how many of you think of a school bus? Anyone? How many of you think of freedom being sucked out of your life? Parents, how many of you think of freedom? You got eight hours a day now. Let me give you one more. Not vacation, not school. But what about this one? What do you think about when you hear the word love? Take five seconds, real quick, share with someone. What do you think of when you hear the word love? Maybe it's going to be, you know, uh, chocolate or roses. I don't know. What do you think? Go ahead, real quick. All right, three, two, one. Now, don't call anything out. Here's what I want to visit with you about this morning. How you define this word will define your life. How you define this word will define your life. I did a poll this week on Facebook. I said, hey, when you hear this word, what do you think about? I had all sorts of fantastic answers. Let me give you just a few of them. Someone said unconditional or grandchildren. How many of you would say grandchildren? No one ever says just children. They just say grandchildren. They skip a generation. That's just the way it goes. Someone else said safety and security. Another person wrote rescue dogs. Oh, yeah, that's cute. Another one says intentional acceptance. And I love what one of my buddies put. He wrote two words when I think of love. I think of Chinese food. (laughs) To each their own. Now, why do I ask you this? Our big brother in the faith, John, has a very specific definition of love. And when he gives it, it's going to be one of those that in church we go, well, yeah, of course. But don't yet, of course, this, because this is the most important definition you will ever learn. Because how you define love will define your life. And I want you to see it in these very few verses of 1 John chapter 4. We're going to begin reading in verse 7. I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word this morning. Are you ready? Here we go. Dear friends, let us... Love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love doesn't know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. Time out. That word atoning comes from this other word, atonement. Here's the way to remember it. Atonement is simply at-one-ment, meaning atonement makes us one with God again. Dear friends, since God, is lo- since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And he ends in verse 11 with these words. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. And then verse 8, down there at the bottom, notice this. Because God, say these three words with me, is love. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, teach us the true definition of love. And I pray that it would rock us so deeply that it would change us from the inside out. 
and that not a person would leave today questioning what love is or that they are loved. Jesus, I'm begging you to do a work that I cannot, no one in this room can, only you through your spirit can do. And I am asking that those who need to say yes to you today, to your love, will do so and come to faith. We ask this now. In Jesus' name, and all those who agreed said, go ahead and grab a seat. All right, here you go. If you're taking notes, first thing, write this down. Love has a name, and that name is God. If you want a definition of love, this is the definition, G-O-D. If you went to the dictionary and you were to look up the word love, John says, John is suggesting that the word love would have a picture next to it and be the portrait of God. That if you want to understand love in a profound, deep way, every aspect of what true love is, it comes from and is embodied in, created by the Creator Himself. God is love, John says. In fact, John didn't come up with this. This idea of God as love is throughout the Scriptures. If you were to take the Bible and ring it, love would just pour from the pages. So let me give you a few examples so you understand. I'm not just making this up. Let's begin with the most famous of all love passages, John 3.16. Notice what it says. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only sons. We learn the definition of love is giving. It is selfless. It's self-sacrificing. Then Romans 5, Paul says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still Sinners, sinners are those who are enemies of God going their own way, saying it's my way, not thy way. While you and I were still rebels, Christ died for us. And then in verse 5, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit, which means that God is not simply love at a distance, but love that has come near. God is love. Now, this isn't just in the New Testament. Let's take a few looks at the Old Testament, beginning in Nehemiah. Notice these words. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in, what's that word, church? Love. Does anyone else here need a forgiving God today? Man, I need a God who doesn't just have power. I need a God who can forgive Josh because Josh is a sinner. Is anyone else a sinner in need of a Savior? And it says that he's a forgiving God. He's gracious, compassionate, and I love this. He's slow to anger, meaning he's not, the, he's not an abusive father who if you speak poorly, he smacks you. He is slow to anger and abounding in love. Isaiah 54 continues with, My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. My covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord. My unfailing love, meaning his love will not fail. Although you and I may not love perfectly, his love is always given perfectly. And it will not be shaken. If the world falls apart, if things are falling apart in your life, his love is not shaken. His covenant, a covenant is a promise that your life is on the line if you don't keep it. God says, I've given you my promise that I will forfeit my life for you. And what did God do through Jesus? Give his life. And then, I love this, Exodus 34. The Lord, this is God speaking of himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Again, slow to anger. It's almost like we need to be reminded that he is not quick to be angry at us. Slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. For when I am faithless, our God is still faithful. Friends, hear me now. 
You are not saved because of how good you are. You are saved because of how good God is. He did the work, and he's doing the work even today to hold you safely in his hands. What I'm trying to say is that all of Scripture speaks to this image of God as love. So if God is the definition of love, then we cannot fully know love if we do not know God. Is it any wonder our culture is confused about love? Our culture has said no thank you and distanced itself from the author and embodiment of love, so we should not be surprised if the world now comes up with all sorts of creative definitions for love. It's not their fault. They just don't know what love is because God is love. And if you don't have God, you don't know love. In fact, our hunger for love is a clue that we were made for God. In fact, put this up. We were made for love because we were made for God. The reason that you hunger to be loved, even though we express it differently, we all want to be loved. The reason that you are is because you are made for God. If God is love and you hunger for love, that is an indicator that you were made for God. Want to know what I thought about when I thought about this? A goldfish. Okay, this is just where your preacher's mind goes. Let me give you a little bit here. A number of years ago, one of my friends, she had a three-year-old son. She still has a son. He's just not three anymore. She wanted to get him an animal because he was constantly saying, I want an animal, I want a, I want a puppy, I want a puppy. She was not about to get another animal like a dog or a cat that would make messes on the floor. She already had a three-year-old son. Any parents know what I'm talking about there? So she thinks, well, you know, what will be a good idea? And so she thinks, oh, a fish. Fish don't make messes. If they have an accident, whoops, it's already in the water, okay? So she buys him this little goldfish, puts the little tank there, gets it all ready. And he loves the goldfish. And she was telling me, she's like, he'd just go up to the glass. He'd be like, boom, 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 boom. Hi, Goldie. Hi, Go-. Yeah, he named it Goldie. And he'd be like, how you doing? Talk to the goldfish, having a great time. Well, one day she is in the kitchen making lunch, getting things ready, when she begins to hear her son sobbing. Goldie! Goldie! She comes into the other room, and there, not in the tank, but on the ground in a puddle of water is Goldie, and Goldie ain't moving. She's like, what happened? <laughs> I just wanted to play with her, and she looked bored in there. So I got her out, and we were having a great time. She was moving all over the place. And then she stopped. What happened? So in that moment, the mom has this existential crisis. Oh, no, do I tell my son about death? Instead, she says, let's talk about life. She says, sweetheart, the problem is Goldie was made for the water. Goldie can only live in the water. If Goldie is taken out of the water, Goldie ain't going to survive for very long long because Goldie was designed to swim in, move in, have its being in the water. It sounds almost like Paul's words when he spoke to the Athenians on Mars Hill when he said of God, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, We were designed to swim in the presence of God. And when we step away from his love and his presence, we should expect death to follow. This is what happened in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with God. And then they say, I don't want you. I want to be God myself. They distanced themselves from the author of life and love. And the natural result is death. So if you want to know life and love, you need to be close to the one who is the embodiment 
of life and love. One of my favorite writers and Christians is St. Augustine. He was an early church leader thousand, or a couple thousand years ago. And he wrote this in his little book called Confessions. I love this phrase. He says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. We were designed to swim in the presence of God. And if you are lacking love today, the thing you do is not look for another person or another thing. You turn to love himself and you will find what your heart has been craving. But here's a question. If God is love, isn't it true? If God is love, then why is it that God seems so angry in the Old Testament? Have you ever wondered this? Have you ever had a friend who may be skeptical about this faith? Or maybe yourself, you are, and you've wondered, okay, if God is love, then why in the Old Testament does God seem so angry? Almost like, almost like, um, you know, Jesus really nice, he's loving, but his father, not so nice. And some of us kind of go, well, did God forget his medicine in the Old Testament and that's why he's so cranky? And I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious because so many of us have this view of God that we have two different gods we worship, Jesus who's nice and God who's mean. And yet the uniform truth of Scripture is that God is love. So the question is, so why? Why is it that God seems so angry in the Old Testament if God is love? Now, I'm about to say something. Before the next slide comes up, hear me very carefully. I need you to really dial in for the next three minutes because if you miss this, you're going to think your preacher is not a biblical preacher, okay? But hear me. This is an important point. Love and anger actually go together. Let me, let's do it this way. Okay. How many of you love someone or something? Can I see some hands? Husbands, keep your hands up. Husbands, put the hand up. Okay. This is a gimme. All right. So you'll know what I'm about to say when I describe a moment of love and anger. I remember when I bought my first car. I've told you about this little junk thing I bought first years and years and years ago. It was a Toyota Tercel, a little bitty car, I mean, just itty bitty, two door. The horns sound like the Roadrunner from the Looney Tunes cartoons. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it was, no one's going to hear it. And if they do, they'll just laugh and keep on going. The thing was so small and junky. It had one rear view mirror, nothing to be proud of. In fact, do you want to know where I bought this thing? A junk yard. It's fantastic. Now, this thing was beat up. It was nasty looking already, but it was my nasty looking thing. It's so bad. First time I drove it, I get on the interstate. It's going fine. Me. I get off the interstate, let off the gas. It It stops. People flying by giving me the one finger howdy and everything else. I was just like, oh. But I remember the day. I love this little car. I I, I remember the day, though. I came out of a Walmart store. And there, on my already beaten up little sort of looking red car, was a new, big scrape in the car. (coughs) Now, it was already beaten up, but it was my beaten up car. My natural response was anger at the person who violated what I loved. Let's do it this way. How many of you have children? How many of you... When someone else treats your kid bad, your first response is going to be a, where are they? Come on, mama bears. Anyone out there? Uh, dads, what about you? You got a little girl. She starts to date a hairy-legged dude. You meet him at the door. And what do you do for the next 30 minutes? You put the fear of God in that young man, don't you? You show him your rifle. You're like polishing it. Like, yeah, it's a beauty. And I'm really good at it too. 
Why? Because when you care for someone or something, you want to take care of it and you are angry at anyone or anything that would violate it. In fact, put this up. The more you love something, the more you'll be angered by anything that violates it. Come on. You know this to be true. The more you love someone, the more you will be angry if someone else or something else violates it. This is why parents, you can become so angry even at your children when they become addicted to something. Because that thing is violating the child that you love. And here's the big problem with our culture. We think that the opposite of love is anger or love is hate. But here's the reality. The opposite of love is not anger and it's not even often hate. Do you want to know what the opposite of love is? Indifference. Where you say, I just don't care what happens to you. I'm not worried about you. I don't consider you. Now, in our culture, we have redefined love not as we're going to care and we're... The word we have changed or used is now this word tolerance. Right? It's like, I love you so much that I tolerate you. And so we'll say things like, you do you. Or live your truth right off the edge of the cliff. See, see, here's the thing. None of us just want tolerance. How many of you just want people to say, I tolerate you so much? <laughs> Come on. It's like, that's not what any man wants. I don't want to come home in the afternoon. My wife meet me at the door saying, hi, honey, I tolerate you. <laughs> come on. What a sad state of affairs that we have exchanged love for tolerance. That we've said the ultimate expression of love is simply you do what you want. You live your life. And there are no consequences. And if there are, I don't care enough to tell you. Friends, that's not love. You want to know the good news, though? God doesn't tolerate you. God loves you. God, when he saw the chains of sin around your neck, when he saw the punishment of hell in front of you, he doesn't simply say, you do you, boo. He doesn't say, you go your way, you do your truth. He says, I am angered by the sin that is going to lead you to hell. I'm angry by the behavior that is not becoming of my child. And what did he do? In his anger, he was motivated to act. Not indifferent, not tolerant. He acted on your behalf. Notice what John says in verse 9 and verse 10. He says, this is how God, what's that word? Showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. In other words, as you and I were walking our way off the cliff into the abyss, God says, I love you too much to leave you where you are. I sent my son for you. He goes on, verse 10, this is love. God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, an at oneing sacrifice, meaning his sacrifice brings you home. You don't die. Jesus dies so you could live. The good news of the gospel is God does not just tolerate you. God loves you enough to act and save you. This is the picture of love. God is love. He is the definition. Why does God get angry? It's because the more you love someone or something, the more anger you'll feel if that thing is violated. But here's the good news. Are you ready? Final point. 
He doesn't just love you. He's called you into his little family. And this family is not so little anymore, is it? In fact, I'm so pleased that today it grew by one, and I'm so excited about that. By the way, if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, nothing would thrill us, and more than that, nothing would thrill your, the one who died for you more than for heaven to grow by one more today. And here's what I want you to hear. Next slide. You get to wear God's name now if you're in him. You have the last name of love if you are a child of God. Did you hear that phrase earlier that we are children of God? When you're born into the family of God, you become the child of God and you get the name of God. One of my dear friends who I grew up with was adopted. And I remember hearing about the adoption process and what a big deal it was when the last name was given to this child. Maybe you've seen a similar thing. Maybe it's a news report or it's a YouTube video. And you'll see in the courtroom a family there before the judge and the child who's about to be adopted. And the judge looks and confers adoption on the parents to the child and says, your last name is. I saw one of these not too long ago and the little kid burst into tears, hugged his new mom and daddy, and then went up to the judge, hugged the judge, came back down and said, my name is, and said their name. You've been given the last name of love because you are the child of God. You carry his name. It's not a paltry thing, church. You are now a child of love who is to live as love. I often will tell my kids, remember, you are a digs. And because you are a digs that has certain responsibilities and privileges. The privilege is you get to be a part of this home and this family. We'll take care of you. We'll love you. You have a place at the table. But there are responsibilities as well. If you are a digs, it means that you speak a certain way. You treat people a certain way. You think and act a certain way. And no, we don't do it perfectly. But this is how we choose and try to live. You're a digs. And that sounds epic. I'm a digs. And I was so excited. My kids were so excited until we learned what the name digs really means. So my parents in their hallway at home, they have a plaque and it has like the coat of arms, our family, and it has a definition of digs. And so I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm reading digs. Da, 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 da. Okay. And I come down here. The name means duck-like people. <laughs> so congratulations. We are cousins to Daffy and Donald Duck. But here's my point. You don't get the last name Diggs or Smith or Phillips. You don't get the last name of Jones or Stewart. You get the last name of love. God says, you're my kid and you are a part of my family and I give you my last name. You have privileges, but you also have responsibilities. My kids love a certain way and we are not indifferent when we see wrongs or evil. But like our daddy, God, we are motivated to act when we see injustice when we see brokenness, when we see sin, and we don't stand from afar wagging our finger, but like our big brother Jesus who showed us how, we enter into the spaces and places and we bring the love of God that is self-sacrificing, self-giving, even at our own expense so that love may flow through us and to others. Here's the question. Are you part of that family? And if you are, there's, there's one little detail that I want you to see. 
At the very beginning of this, chat, or of this reading, verse 7, there's a phrase there, a title we're given. Go ahead and put the next slide up. Notice it says, Dear Friends. Now, I prefer the NIV. That's what this translation is on most things. However, on this one, it gets it completely wrong. That is not the right translation. Do you, do you want to know what the right translation is? Let me give you a hint. Here's the Greek word. It's agapetos. What does that look like? Agape. Are you ready for the right translation of this? You're not just dear friends, but you are beloved. When was the last time someone held you by the face and just said, you are beloved? All the garbage, all the things you've done, you are beloved still. When was the last time someone held you and said, what you have done does not disqualify you from the love of God? When was the last time someone said, because you are beloved, you have a future and a hope? I think if he was here, John would grab you by the face and say, because of Jesus, you are Beloved, meaning be loved. Receive it and give it. So, I'll ask again. Are you the beloved of God? Are you a part of this family today? Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been labeled with your family name with all the rights and privileges and responsibilities. If you've not said yes to Jesus in baptism, if you've not given him your life, I just want you to know the thing that would make us happier than anything is if today would be the day that you came and said, yes, I want to be part of the family. I am a sinner. I cannot save myself. The way that I have lived has not been honoring to God. And even at my best, it's not enough. But there's one who is. And he's already paid the admittance into the family. Would you say yes to him today?